last week we uh, looked at addictions and we looked specifically at um, the, uh, the, the reason why addictions have such a hold over us. And we said that essentially addictions is sin. And you never just do sin, but sin takes a hold of you, it enslaves you, right? And so sin does you. And there's a power behind sin, which is demonic power, satanic power, right? And this is why we find it so difficult to break these sinful habits. Um, because it starts out with you wanting to do it, and then it, it ends up with you not wanting to do it, but you doing it regardless, right? And so today we're going to talk about some uh, resources on how to fight sin. And so um, the gospel tells us that fighting addictions is not impossible. I think that's really good news because a lot of times, if you're in the throes of addiction, if you have friends who are in the throes of addiction, it can feel very helpless. Um, is it recording? Oh, yes. I also forgot to pray. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word and think about this seemingly intractable problem of addictions. Please uh, give us hope, give us light, and encourage our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so let's read the first passage, 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, Jeff. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Yeah, I think it's a wonderfully encouraging uh, verse for us that God will never tempt us beyond our ability, or he'll never let us be tempted, right? God doesn't tempt. And uh, which means it's never fated that you will succumb to sin, it's never hopeless. And that's wonderful good news for us. And that means we have to fight sin. And I'm not saying, by the way, that you can ever be totally free from sin or that you will completely be free from addiction. Um, because in 1 John uh, 1.8 it says, if, he, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Right? And so it, you will always struggle with sin. And to some degree you will always struggle with addiction. But there's hope. We can fight. Okay? Um, let's read the, let me read the italics. Uh, often addiction feels impossible to resist. This is part of the power of addiction, that it is hopeless to resist and that we are helpless before a, our, our, our addictions. This is the lie of Satan. The gospel is that God is faithful and gives us the strength to resist, but we must fight. And so the question now is going to be how. So I think that's the first perspective we need to have, is that addiction is not a hopeless problem that there's power, there's gospel resources, okay? And so the first thing we need to um, realize is that the Christian life is marked by uh, self-control. And here I want to um, show a distinction between the problem of addiction and the solution is self-control. Or self-control is what enables you to fight addiction and sin. And... Um, uh, if you remember in Galatians chapter 5, right, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Let me write that down because that's kind of important. So in Galatians 5, there's something called the fruit of the Spirit. And it lists us all these characteristics or attributes. And one of the fruit is self-control. And I think it's very important that the fruit here is singular, not plural. Because if you look in other places in the Bible, for example, we have gifts of the Spirit, right? 
and it's plural, gifts of the Spirit. And, you know, some people, and what that means is, some people have the gift of teaching, some people have the gift of encouragement, some people have the gift of prayer. Not everyone has all the gifts, right, because there are many gifts. But there's only one fruit. They all go together. Every Christian should exhibit self-control. If you do not have self-control, the real question is, are you a Christian? Do you have the Spirit in your life? Um, and so it's essential. It's not optional. Okay. And so let's read uh, Luke chapter 9. Uh, Tony, can you read that for us? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Yeah, so Jesus tells us that self-denial is the essence of following him, right? It's saying no to yourself. And so self-addiction uh, is saying yes to your desires. And self-control, right, the fruit of the Spirit, the Christian life, is saying no. Is the ability to say no to desires. And I think this is a really helpful understanding because a lot of times, and I've, and I've spoken to so many people, they say, why would God give me these desires unless he didn't want me to obey them, right? Why would God give me these yearnings unless I'm supposed, I, I mean, how can I deny myself? How can I say no to myself? And people don't realize that your desires often are broken. They deceive you, right? Because we're sinners. So our desires are messed up. So the Christian life is, is the ability to say no to those broken, messed up desires, right? Um, and, and to subordinate all things to Christ. So let's go on to the next passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, Yvonne, or Yvonne. <laughs> For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Wait, wait, stop right there. I mean, a lot of people always ask me, what is the will of God for my life? We should just say, turn to First First Thessalonians chapter four. This is the will of God. What is the will of God? Yvonne, go ahead. <laughs> your sanctification. Yes, it's your sanctification. <laughs> By the way, what is sanctification? Uh, Yvonne, what's the quick definition? Um, knowing that you're saved by grace and not by your own works. Mm, that's not quite the precise definition I'm looking for. Harry, what's sanctification? Um, it's growing in holiness. There you go. That's the quick rule of thumb definition. So, sanctification, that's God's will. Okay, so how do we do that, Yvonne? See, there's the colon. It's telling us what is it. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that uh -huh. each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Yeah, so here's saint what sanctification means. It means to control our body's desires, right? Our body has all these yearnings and desires, and it's the ability to control them. And I think verse 5 is really interesting because it says, not in the passion of lust. And the English word there, passion, is translating a Greek word. Uh, I think the word passion is a little weak, or maybe not weak, but it's a little nondescript. Uh, the Greek word here is epithumia. It's a great, great, great word. It's a word that Paul uses all the time to describe sin. And the word thumia here means desire. And epi means too much or excessive or over. So it literally means over desire. And I think this is a wonderful definition of sin and what addiction is. Because it's not 
that desire itself is wrong. It's not for you. It's not wrong for you to want things, but the problem is that you you want it too much. The desire is over excessive, beyond what is reasonable and controlled. And so, if addiction is over desire, then self control is controlled desires or reasonable desires. Is there two L's in control? Yes. Um, and the reason why we have these over desires is ultimately idolatry. Because you're basically looking at whatever your object of desire is, and you're treating it as you should only treat God, right? You're looking for meaning, significance, identity to this thing, and you're desiring it so much, which you should only desire God for these things, okay? And so, um, let's move on. First Peter chapter 1. Where are we? Karen. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Yeah, stop right there. Sober-minded, um, in other translations, is also self-controlled. It literally means your mind is sober. It means that you're reasonable and clear and controlled, right? You're not, like, you're not just overwhelmed by desires and so forth. So, keep going. So, being self, self so be, essentially, being self-controlled. Go ahead. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, We shall be holy, for I am holy. Yeah, I, I think this is a really helpful... By the way, the word passion there is, can you guys guess? Epithemia, right? And so Peter says, don't be conformed to your epithemia. Don't give in. Don't uh, let yourself be taken over by these over-desires. And I think in this sense, um, the, the problem of addiction is really the problem of sin. And sin is not just doing bad things. Sin, this is a wonderful definition of sin, sin is desiring things too much. Right? Sin is wanting it, wanting something so much because you're trying to squeeze uh, meaning, significance, identity, all these ultimate things out of it when you should be looking to God for those things, right? Um, and so in this sense, all of us struggle with uh, epithemia, all of us struggle with addiction to some degree, and holiness is, um, how did I define it? Holiness is not just uh, it's not just doing good things, but it's controlling our desires, right? And so the difference between addiction and self-control is that um, in addiction, your desires, Lord, and then the Christian life self-control is that Jesus is Lord. This is what it ultimately comes down to. Right? Every time you're confronted with a problem of addiction, the real question is, who is Lord over your life? Who's the real God? Is it your own desires, or is it ultimately Christ? Um, let me look at one more verse, and then I'll pause really briefly. Uh, Titus chapter 2. Uh, can I have um, Harry read it? Uh, for the grace of God has prepared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And worldly passions, by the way, the word passion? Epithemia. <laughs> and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Yeah, let me just pause right there. So that's the contrast, right? We're supposed to live self-controlled lives. 
And that means being able to say no to our ungodly desires or our over-desires and listening to Christ, obeying Christ. Which, by the way, obeying Christ often means saying no to yourself, right? Jesus even defines it. He says, deny yourself and take up the cross. I don't know if you guys, if that impacts you, but taking up the cross, okay, he's talking about excruciating bodily torture, (laughs) right? He's talking about the most painful experience you could possibly imagine. He says that's what Christian life is. It's saying no and embracing that which you think is like, ah, torture, okay? But some of you are saying, is this supposed to help me? Um, we'll talk about why that's a beautiful thing. So keep going. Uh, waiting for our blessed hope, uh, the pairing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Yeah. Um, I think it's a wonderful transition to the next point, which is that um, we're to wait, right? We're to look for the coming of Christ. But let me just pause there and open up to any questions or comments. Um, Any thoughts on this paradigm that I'm trying to present to you guys, which is there's addiction, and then the the Christian response is self-control. The ability to say no to your own desires. Any thoughts or comments? All right. You sure? All right, so... um, so let me give you four practical steps on how we can do this. Because the question you should all be asking is, I want self-control. How do I have self-control? And there are four steps, okay? Four very practical steps. Uh, let's begin with the first one. Self-control is being captivated by a greater beauty. Um, the Bible never says self-control comes from mere willpower. Right? It's never just you saying to yourself, I won't be addicted. I won't be addicted. Um, that actually does work in the short run. Right? I mean, if you've suffered addiction and you experience the devastation of it, you feel deep remorse, you feel really bad, and you vow to yourself, I won't do it again. I won't do it again. And maybe it lasts for a week, two weeks, even a month, two months. But eventually, it doesn't hold, it doesn't last. Willpower is not strong enough. So we need something else, and that something else is not just saying no, we need to be attracted to something greater, something more beautiful than the addiction, which is what? Let's keep reading. Okay, Um, Ephesians 5. Um, uh, Where are we? Tim, can, can you read Ephesians 5? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Yeah, I love this verse. This verse, do you guys understand how super deep this verse is? So basically, the, the classic addiction in the Bible is alcoholism. Right? Every time the Bible talks about like this out-of-control, over-desire, uh, alcohol is a really perfect example. Um, and notice the way, uh, and Paul describes it as debauchery. The word debauchery there means excessive indulgence and pleasure. So it's basically another word for epithemia, right? And so how does he say we should fight uh, drunkenness? Does he say, just abstain. Don't go near alcohol. Just say no. No, he says what? Rather than getting drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Right? So he creates a contrast. And... What he's saying is basically, rather than being filled and controlled with alcohol, be filled and controlled with the Spirit. He's 
creating a parallel. He's saying they basically do similar things, right? Alcohol makes you really happy. Alcohol gives you a peace, a contentment, a joy. He says the spirit does that too. And so rather than be controlled by this, be controlled by the spirit. And in fact, alcohol, the reason why alcohol has such an attraction is because it simulates, it's a fake alternative to the real thing. The real thing which you really want, true joy, true peace, true contentment, is a spirit-filled life. Alcohol only simulates it, gives you a fake happiness, but in the end, it's short-term, it doesn't last, and it's not real, right? I think it's a wonderful, wonderful paradigm for how we should think of all addictions. All addictions is really faking the real thing, and the real thing is when you have Christ. The real thing is being spirit-filled. That's the true happiness, that's the true contentment. Um, And so I think uh, it's really a beautiful picture that Paul is saying, don't just say no to alcohol, but say yes to something so much more beautiful, which is so much more greater, which is being in Christ, right? And so that's the first uh, step, um, is, um, that's the, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to go on to the next thing, so let me leave it blank, because I have a better phrase for it. Okay, so does everyone understand um, that's what we're supposed to do. If you go back to First Peter one, uh, chapter one, in the first column on the left, right? If you look at the second verse from the bottom, it says, um, "Right, be sober-minded." Right, and Paul doesn't just say, "Be sober-minded, be self-controlled." Okay, go out and do it. Notice what he says: "Set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ." So he never, the Bible never, 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 never says, "Stop sinning, abstain." It always says, "Turn away from the fake." buzz and turn to the real thing which is Christ that's always the pivot that's always the transition that's the only way you can be free from your addiction is if you're if you say something else is so much better wouldn't you rather have this C.S. Lewis has this great illustration he says we are so content playing in the mud pile when we don't realize that behind us is this great vacation is this great wonderful uh, holiday at the end and we're just playing with our little mud pile Wake up, realize. I mean, the problem with addicts is not that they desire too much, but they desire too little because they're content with cheap substitutes like alcohol, sex, you know, when the real thing is Christ. All right. Um, I feel like I'm repeating myself. Okay, Hebrews uh, 12. Who's next? Tub, can you read Hebrews 12? Great verse. This is, this is it. This is the answer. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Oh, let me stop. Let me pause right there. I love this definition. I think Hebrews is so, so practical and so realistic because he says sin clings to us so closely. It's not easy to fight sin. Sin holds on to you and grips you. It's so difficult to let go, to fight sin. What's the solution? Keep reading, please. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah, so number two, verse two, sorry, the answer is looking to Jesus. That word look in the ESV translation, I think, is a super weak translation. I have to say the NIV translation, so much better. Does anyone know what the NIV translation is? Without looking. 
this is pretty famous. Rather than look to Jesus, and every translation is turn. No, not turn. <laughs> fix your eyes on Jesus. Um, that word fix, the, tr- the, the, the original Greek word, it doesn't, it, it, it means to look, but it means to look super intently. It means like to stare, to concentrate. So what the Hebrews writer is telling us is don't just glance at Jesus <laughs> or just let your eyes kind of roll past Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Does that make sense? Concentrate. Stare really, 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 really hard and focus on Christ. And when you do that, you're going to be so captivated by the beauty of his love, his sacrifice, his majesty, his beauty, that you real everything else fades in comparison. Nothing else comes even close to how glorious and beautiful Christ is. And so that's the first step. Um, that's why I waited for Hebrews 12, because I love the language. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix. How do we practically fix our eyes? We do it by the spiritual disciplines, through prayer, reading the Bible, fellowship, mercy to the poor. You know, a lot of people say, I struggle with addictions. And my next response will be, well, are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? What does that mean? Are you reading the Bible? Are you intently studying, looking for Christ in the Bible? Are you praying? Are you fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters in Christ? All these things help you to fix your eyes. And when you do that, the power of addictions will lessen. Um, Philippians 4, I love this verse. Uh, Who's next? Uh, Hannah, are you next? Yeah. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Yeah. Um, This verse can be sort of taken out of context, and people think, oh, Paul says, think about puppies and sunflowers and butterflies. Um, Paul is talking about the glory of Christ. Paul is talking about uh, the truth of salvation of the gospel. So meditate on these things. Train your mind. It really is a matter of training. I think that so often we sort of relegate and marginalize our Christian faith to sort of on Sunday mornings and occasionally coming to a small group. But it should so saturate every aspect of our life so that we think about Christ. We're so enamored with the gospel that it begins to control us. It's about control. Who is Lord? Is Christ Lord? Or is your own desires Lord? That's the question. Um, any comments or questions on step number one? That's just step number one. There's three more. All right. Let's move on. Step number two. Remind yourself that addiction leads to death. So let me write that down. <coughs> leads to death. Okay, you have to remember, remind yourself of the incredible downsides and destruction of addiction. Um, Proverbs 23 is a great passage. Um, it's one of the most vivid descriptions of basically an alcoholic. And as you read it, or as we read it together, I want you guys to think about what are some of the downsides to addiction. What are some of the downsides to being uh, a drunk? So, um, Dan, can I have you read uh, Proverbs 23? Sure. And so, as, as he's reading it, think about it, okay? Because we're going to list some of the downsides. Go ahead. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? 
who has redness of eyes, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, those do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. I love the way that ends. I must have another drink. <laughs> so, what? what are some of the downsides that Proverbs, I think, so vividly paints for us? Um, so this is uh, you guys point out some things that what are what are some of the downsides negatives to being drunk your heart utters perverse things yeah your heart I, I, I like that the, the preceding parallel there in verse 33 your eyes will see strange things your heart will per utter perverse things so one of the downsides is you're given to delusions right right there's a kind of like you're not in sync with reality when you're given over to addictions. Anything else? Well, let's, let me just point out a verse. How about verse 29? What does verse 29 tell us? Just shout it out. Sorrow. Sorrow. I love that word, sorrows. You know, it's just sad. Sorrow. <laughs> um, what else? Verse 29. Strife. So what is that talking about? Conflicts, right. Broken relationships, basically, right? <coughs> Addictions lead to broken relationships. Um, anything else? Uh, verse 35, you, it numbs you. Yes! You feel what you're supposed to feel. Yes, it numbs... It desensitizes you. I think that's one of the uh, scariest things. Is it it kind of leads to this callousness, so that you don't even feel. You're not. You don't even know anymore, right? Um, anything else? I did not feel it. Wow. <laughs> two more. Two more things. Um, how about uh, the end of verse twenty-nine? The, the last two lines of twenty-nine. Redness of eyes and wounds without cause. So, physical ailments, right? And then the last one, the last, last line, I must have another drink. What is this telling us a picture of? Huh? Dependency, right? Another way to put it is this insatiable thirst for more. <coughs> I think um, when you look at this list, oh, by the way, let's keep going on. I forgot I, I put up other verses. Turn to the next page. Uh, verse uh, Proverbs 23, who are we at? Uh, Neiman, can you read 23? Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Okay, so what's another consequence of drunkenness and addictions? Poverty, right? It does lead to poverty. What else? Uh, 20, verse 20, um, Chris. Uh, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, 
and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Yeah, so brawler, mocker, it basically destroys your relationships, right? It breaks relation, uh, breaks your friendships. And so when you look at this list, I hope that it is repulsive. So, you know, not only do we fix our eyes on, on Jesus, but we need to stare at the, the ugliness and the, the hatefulness hatefulness, I was like, is that Judah? Uh, the hatefulness of addictions. And by the way, you can do this with all of your addictions. Uh, let me just, by the way, um, uh, we talked about this last week, but um, I think the big three addictions in our church, just from talking to people, okay, is pornography, video games, Yeah, maybe, the guys, maybe the guys are sharing with me. Actually, girls are also addicted to pornography. The statistics is something like 10 to 15 percent. Okay. Fifty Shades of Grey. Sorry. Um, <laughs> pornography, video games, and then drunkenness. Okay, so these are the, I mean, just from talking to people in the church, this is the big three problems in our church, okay? And so you can, we've just talked about drunkenness, let's talk about pornography. I think one of the huge myths out there is that pornography is harmless. Right? Looking at it maybe is a sin against God, but it doesn't do anything to you. There's an incredible mountain of research and literature out there that shows that that's just not true. Uh, one of the huge downsides of a pornography is that it begins to desensitize you to when you view pornography, it desensitizes you to the real thing so that it actually diminishes your attraction and your desire for your wife. <laughs> that is like um, clinically proven. Okay? That's absolutely true. The more you look at pornography, the, the more, because, it's, because it portrays sex in such a super unrealistic way, because you're looking at all kinds of images that your wife is just not going to do for you, <laughs> It begins to diminish your love and it diminishes your desire for your wife. I mean, that is like, I think that's so super tragic. And, and so it twists and distorts you so that pornography uh, trains you to desire something that's not even real. The other thing it does is it heightens your desires. So, so it's kind of weird. It diminishes your, your, your desire for the real thing, but it also heightens your desire so that it kind of creates like the salivating need for more sexual experiences. And so pornography is a gateway drug to more things like prostitution, adultery. I was recently talking with a friend, and uh, this is a friend I kind of mentioned before. He uh, committed adultery. He left his wife and kids. And he's living with his mistress now. And he was telling me that it began with pornography. He was just watching pornography, and then it's, it's just not enough, right? There's an insatiable thirst for more. And so he began to try to look for, he would go to bars and try to look for hookups. And then that led to even more and more and more. And so here's the super, super scary thing about pornography. It does indescribable damage to you. And so one way that you can fight pornography is you remind yourself of the devastation it causes. It is not a harmless sin. It does terrible damage to you, okay? And so you can do that with all kinds of addictions, all kinds of sins. Remind yourself that it leads down to death, okay? Um, Ephesians chapter 4, 
Um, I don't want to read the whole passage because of the sake of time, but um, let me just point out one thing. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. The word callous there uh, means that you don't feel anymore. And so in, um, in the psychology literature, they talk about something called adaptation. Okay? Uh, adaptation simply means that what gives you the thrills and chills that it used to give you thrills and chills, don't anymore. And so you build up what's called tolerance. This is really, really frightening. That, so that you basically need more and more and more to get the same buzz. This is what addiction does. Because it is a fake joy. It's not real happiness. And so this, is, this ultimately leads to death. Um, any questions on practical step number two? So this is sort of remind yourself of the negative. Fix your eyes on Christ as the positive. So remind yourself addiction is a pile of poo. And Christ is filet mignon. The problem is, we're not even looking at the filet mignon, we're just gorging on the poo. Okay. Any questions or comments? All right, step number three. Um, take violent measures against your addiction. All right, so... Um, <coughs> That's my next step. Be violent. Uh, James 4, where are we? Uh, Chow, can you read it? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Yeah, I just start this out by saying that, remember we talked about the power behind sin and addiction is demonic power. James gives us this wonderful encouraging note. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Meaning, it's not hopeless. If you say no the power of addiction, the power of sin begins to diminish and lessen. I think that's wonderful. I think so many times the reason why we're so much in the throes of addiction is because we just say, it's hopeless to say no. What's the point of saying no? Say no, see what that work, how that works out. You'll be amazed. Um, but let's go on to Matthew chapter 5. Where are we? Uh, Priscilla. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to throw into hell. Uh, Jesus is so super blunt. Okay, Jesus says, this is what sin is. Sin will lead you to hell. Do you realize that? If you are in the throes of enslavement to sin, don't you realize it's not only going to destroy your relationships, it's not going to destroy your life, it'll ultimately spiral down into hell. And if that is the case, then enemy number one is sin. And you need to do whatever it takes to fight sin. And so Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. He, sa he says basically, do whatever it takes, take whatever radical measures you need to, to fight sin. I think so many, so many times we have a kind of a complacent attitude, especially Christians are like, it's my job to sin, it's God's job to forgive. And so we kind of have a cheap grace, kind of easy, lackadaisical attitude. Don't you realize sin leads to hell? And so you need to fight sin. And so the next, uh, the next practical step is uh, be violent with your sin. And... Um, and so, for example, uh, with uh, drunkenness, um, a lot of times the trigger for drunkenness is your friends, <laughs> right? If you have drinking buddies, you know, you 
may have to explore not hanging out with your drinking buddies anymore. And you'll say, but they're my friends. If you can hang out your, with your friends without drinking, be a friend to them, point them to Christ. But if they lead you to drunkenness, you need to be violent. <laughs> I'm not saying kill them. But I'm saying <laughs> you need to just say, I'm sorry. I can't be with you guys. And if that causes you pain and tears and, and sweat and sadness, what is better? Is your life more important? Is holiness more important? Is Or holding on to something that you think is important? Or what about pornography? One of the triggers of pornography is for a lot of guys and women, uh, but for a lot of guys, um, what triggers pornography is the need for consolation, right? So one of the big triggers is you come home from work and you're super tired, you're drained, you've had a bad day at work, and pornography is kind of like a consolation, right? It's like eating a chocolate pie. You feel afterwards, you feel really good. And so if you know that's going to happen, then be violent. Don't use the internet. You say, but I need the internet. I need to do stuff on the internet, okay? <laughs> Just read a book. Go exercise. <laughs> or if you really need the internet, there are block things where you can just surf, you can just uh, check your email. But, I mean, I, I say this to myself because I love the internet. I mean, I can't shut off the internet. Um, but if you need to, do that. I mean, let's take the next step uh, beyond. If it's leading you to addiction and sin, then just destroy your laptop, really. I mean, that's the next step. Um, there are intermediate steps before that, which would be there are software programs where you can send your friends um, all the links that you surf at, right? And you're like, oh, that's such a violation of my privacy. I'm sorry. You need to be violent, okay? You can't just say, you know, I'm really committed to a fighting addiction. How violent are you? I don't see blood. <laughs> I need to see blood. And then... That means you're really committed. Um, and so, or video games. Um, I actually was pretty violently addicted to video games in college. And so finally what I had to do was I just completely deleted everything. I don't have a single game on my computer, which makes me really sad. <laughs> but that's what you need to do. I'm serious. right? You need to take violent measures. Um, and so that's the practical question I would ask uh, what pra what um, violent measures are you willing to take? Um, any questions here? Oh, by the way, I brought this book, these two books. First of all, this whole addictions class, I basically just summarized this great book by Ed Welch. It's called Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. I love the subtitle because A Banquet in the Grave is so evocative. Because you think, when you're, when you're gorging on your addiction, oh, oh it tastes so good. It's, it's like a feast. You're happy, you're, you're titillating your desires. But it's a banquet in the grave. <laughs> it leads down to death. It's a great description. I also brought this other book. This is probably the best book out there on helping you to fight porn. Um, Closing the Window by uh, Tim Chester. It's probably super embarrassing for you guys because I made this offer before. But if you want this book, <laughs> just come to me and I'll say, here's the book. Okay? Um, this leads me to my step number four. But I'm going to raise it up again. Closing the Window. You just memorize the title so no one sees you writing down the title or something. And go get the book, okay? But this leads me to my step number four, because step number four is very important. Um, actually, there's a couple more verses, right? I'm going to skip it all. Actually, let me, let me read 1 Corinthians 9. Um, okay, oh, this is, oh, man. Um, I'm going to skip number 1 Corinthians 9. Number, step number four, you can't do it without Christian community. You need Christian community. 
Okay? Without this, all of this is really somewhat meaningless. The reason why the, the, the reason why addictions fester and have a, such a hold in your life is to a large degree the secrecy and the privacy and the hiddenness that you keep your problems to yourself. It really is. Um, look at Romans 13. Uh, where are we? Uh, Melissa. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Yeah, so here it is, right? Don't give in to the desires of your flesh, but what? Let us walk properly in the daytime. And notice, it's plural. Let us. This fighting of addictions, this fighting of the desires of the flesh, Paul never says, hey, you, individual, walk in the light, do what is holy, fight. He says, let us. It's plural. You can only do this with community. This is really, really crucial. I'm sorry I left it all the way at the end with no time to talk about it really deeply. But the whole sermon is on Christian community, so it'll just be, (laughs) I'll pick it up there. But... You cannot fight addictions as a solo effort. Um, You will fail. You need your Christian brothers and sisters coming alongside of you, holding you, supporting you. And I love this metaphor of walk in the daylight. Um, It says, verse 13, walk in the the daytime, right? Um, The key to fighting addiction is transparency and openness. And what keeps addictions growing is secrecy, privacy, and hiddenness. And so when you open up your life to the scrutiny of your brothers and sisters, that will greatly, greatly, greatly diminish the power of sin in your life. Uh, One of the things that super encourages me, oh, there's Chow, the Begonia boys. (laughs) They live together, right? And when I went to their place, it's like, you guys are all sleeping in the same room. (laughs) So, like, where's the privacy, right? <laughs> There's three rooms, yeah. but they also be in the same room, right? I think that's I think that's so super encouraging to me, right? So like you know, Tub can't be like free basing cocaine or something because Chow be like, what are you doing, Tub? Right? And so there's a wonderful power to community. I'm dead serious. To the extent that you keep your life secret and private is to the extent that you open yourself up to the power of addictions. Um, and there's also a self-deception de- that comes with addictions, right? How are you going to keep from being deceived by your sins? You need other lights, other perspectives. Say, hey, do you think you're maybe going down the path of sin? You're like, no, I don't, th- I don't think so. Right? But it helps to have other people look, right? I, I don't think frequency cocaine is wrong. <laughs> um, uh, let- let's read the next passage, Hebrews thir- uh, 3. Uh, where are we? Um, wait, can you read it? Um, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin yeah exhort one another and the word exhort means to advise to counsel to speak truth to and I think we're so scared of doing this because we're afraid that if we speak truth in love we're going to damage the relationship and I want to tell you that that's true there's a very very good chance that you will confront your friend and exhort them to holiness and they'll say forget you you're not my friend get out of my life but there's a great proverb that says, friends wound, but enemies cover you with kisses. If you're a true friend, you will wound your friend. You will, wound, you will 
wound, wound and hurt your Christian brother or sister in Christ because you love them, because you care for them. Um, and it says, notice, as long as it is called today, you have to do it daily. This can't just be done once every week. It has to be done continually throughout the week. And this is why I'm so encouraged by the Begonia House. Every week, Chow can say, Tub, put that free basic opinion <laughs> away. No, I mean, I, I'm saying it as a joke, but it's really helpful. Okay, uh, Hebrews 10, where are we? Um, Ashley. Did I say Ashley? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, pointed, I, looked, I looked at you, but I said Ashley, so I'll say Ashley. Both. Oh my gosh, did I say Ashley? <laughs> <laughs> Your response made me like trip out, alright. <laughs> Ashley Kim, I'll just call you Kim. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of such, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing. Yeah, the point of the Christian life is to stir each other up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet each other, but encouraging each other. And I think, um, I wonder if we have this attitude where we're not just sort of hanging out, but we're really pushing each other. We're really encouraging each other. You know, so often, I, I want to be honest, a lot of our conversations are somewhat shallow, but our conversations should really be probing, should really be caring, should really be pushing each other towards holiness in Christ. It's basically doing these things as a community. Right. This give, helps us to do it. We push each other towards it. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, where are we now? Let's have the other Ashley. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Yeah, I think, you know, the modern attitude is individualism, which is, you know, your problem is your own. I'm not going to interfere as long as it doesn't affect me. But the vision the Bible gives us is that if anyone is suffering in the church, if someone is suffering addiction, it's your problem. It's devastating you, and you need to go and rescue that person. You need to go and encourage and exhort and restore that person. Um, and let me finally finish with Galatians 6. I'll read it. Uh, the role of the church, Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I mean, the image here Paul gives us is that um, if someone is struggling under this huge burden, right, they're like crushed, you're like, that's your problem. It ought not to be. We ought to come alongside our brother and help them carry the burden. And this means we should help each other with our problems with addictions and it's, notice Paul says, do it with a spirit of gentleness, meaning do it with humility and love. Don't do it with pride or a sense of superiority, like, what the heck's wrong with you, you sick person, you, you're addicted. No, addiction is a common problem to all of us. I'm very serious about this. Because sin is addiction. Addiction is, a, is, is, is really the problem of sin. All of us suffer, and therefore it's all of us as addicts, co-addicts, coming to each other, another addict and helping each other, and restoring each other, and loving each other. And this is the vision Paul gives us of the church. And this is the power of defied addiction. This is the hope, the gospel hope that we have. All right. Any questions? You have two minutes. <laughs> and, no, I'm serious. Any, any questions or comments? All right, let me pray for us then. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gospel. That um, Jesus Christ saves us from our sins. And he rescues us from the power of sin, from the enslavement of sin. 
Lord, we pray that we would take hold of all the resources the gospel gives us. And as we still fight the presence of sin in our lives, we pray that we would truly hate it with all of our passion, all of our being, everything that we have, and see how beautiful it is to obey you, to love you, to, to live a life of holiness. Um, and Lord, we pray that we would do this as a community, caring for each other, watching out for each other, never letting any person suffer on their own. We pray this in Christ's name. All right, thank you guys.